All right. Any more comments about my appearance? <laughs> or do we just do a first segment on what Jeff looks like today? Hey there. Welcome to Hot Takedown, a sports podcast from 538. If you're just joining us, this is a show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is May 14th, 2019, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the assistant sports editor here at 538. I'm joined in the studio by one of my co-hosts, senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. I'm realizing I should not make funny faces while you're reading that intro. (laughs) It it kind of affects things. No, that's fine. Thanks. (laughs) And on the line from Los Angeles is 538 sports editor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? I'm great. How are you, Sarah? (laughs) I'm good. Uh, Are you excited for the PGA Championship? Oh, you wouldn't even believe it. I'm so ready for the PGA Championship. More excited or less than the Kentucky Derby? Oh, man. Why do we have to bring up the Kentucky Derby? It it left such a bad taste in my mouth. I think that Kentucky Derby might have ruined the Kentucky Derby (laughs) for me. I'm serious. We'll check in with that next year. Wait, are you you better at betting golf or horse racing? Well, I don't really bet golf. Really? That is shocking. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. It's purely a recreational following for you i mean betting golf i mean that that, that's just uh, you know complete lunacy you know long shot city i mean you're you're just like mickelson 70 or one why not and then you know he doesn't even come close so you have bet golf you just don't anymore this shows how bad just to circle back on the kentucky derby there is a preakness this weekend and i'm not even remotely thinking about it normally the preakness at least you know, you're excited to see what the Kentucky Derby winner right. or even the horse that won and was DQ'd, how that horse is going to do. <laughs> On an <laughs> obscure rule. Yeah. In case that ever, whatever that happens. Whenever yeah. that comes yeah, up, yeah, which exactly. is often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we don't get either of those horses in this race. I mean, that that's, yeah. I, I feel bad for the, the organizers in Baltimore. You're not going to bet on your failed bets from the Derby in the Preakness? Mm, interesting. No, no, I'm not interested. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Maybe maybe I'll circle back for the Haskell or the Travers. I assume these are horse races. <laughs> you guys want to talk about the Haskell and the Travers um, right no. now? No. Let's move on. Seems like we should start the show. <laughs> so on today's show, we'll check in on how the conference finals are shaping up for both the NBA and the NHL. And we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. It was an exciting weekend for the NBA playoffs, including two tight Game 7 matchups. The Portland Trailblazers managed to oust the Denver Nuggets, clinching their spot in the Western Conference Final, and Kawhi Leonard landed an astonishing buzzer beater against the 76ers to send the Toronto Raptors to the finals in the East. Here's Toronto coach Nick Nurse on the tall task awaiting the Raptors in the next round. We're going to have to forget about how happy we are um, pretty quickly. And like I said, we're going to have to continue to grow and we're going to have to play, play better. Neil, do the Raptors need to play better to beat the Milwaukee Bucks? I definitely think they they need to. Um, if you think about it, you know, uh, Philly, tough opponent. But they actually had a worse point differential during the regular season than the Celtics did. Uh, and the Celtics were just cast aside with such ease mm-hmm. by the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round, while Toronto was having to really sweat it out in a series that was one of the closest that we've seen. It literally came down to a 
buzzer beater in Game 7, which had never happened before. That's it bounced crazy. around the rim about five times yeah. before falling yeah. in. Um, yeah, it, it was surprising to me, too, that that had never happened before. I think it just speaks to Game 7s don't tend to happen all that much in the NBA, um, uh, probably compared with other sports, because like we talked about many times, the NBA, the better team tends to win more often. Uh, and when you see a lot of Game 7s, you see a lot of series that just sort of come down to more chance and, and funny bounces and everything. Uh, and so, yeah, I think they have a, a lot to be concerned about. And I think it starts with the fact that Kawhi is basically carrying this team to an extent that I think we didn't expect when we looked at the supporting cast that Toronto had put together, not just going into the season, but during the season, they made a lot of trades that our model still actually thinks that Toronto is the better team than Milwaukee on paper based on some of those uh, supporting players that they have. But then when you look at the actual output and and what Kawhi had to do during that series to just eke out the win, uh, and that's a series in which Joel Embiid was not at full strength. Um, the, the Sixers, as we talked about in the past, couldn't quite figure out how to effectively use Ben Simmons the entire time. There were even some down games for Jimmy Butler in that series. And so Toronto still just barely got over the finish line. And now they're going to have to go up against Giannis and this Milwaukee team that's more rested, has home court advantage, and just has not seemed to have to exert themselves to anywhere near the same level during the playoffs so far. Mm -hmm. So as you said, our model does like Toronto a little bit more, 55% to 45%. Jeff, how do our predictions compare to the betting markets? They're, uh, they actually stray from the betting markets quite a bit. If you look at um, the money line odds on the series in this, the implied probability gives the Bucks about a 73% chance to win the series, which to be honest, sounds more right to me uh not to uh disparage the model <laughs> i I'm, what's our policy on disparaging the model's outputs you know we disparage the model quite a bit in previous years and previous podcasts uh especially when um it was underrating the cleveland cavaliers on a annual basis mm -hmm. so i think you're good okay yeah that sounds a little uh a little more accurate to me just based almost purely on the fact that i mean milwaukee's been sitting around resting getting healthy, Malcolm Brogdon's back. Um, and, you know, Toronto obviously was just in this complete dogfight, which just ended. That seems like an advantage. And also you just look at the regular season. They went 3-1 and one against Toronto and pretty much dominated. So, I, I mean, I would lean more towards Milwaukee um, than, than our model. But, you know, the model doesn't lie, except when it does. <laughs> true true <laughs> based on what we've seen of these teams so far in the playoffs neil what can we expect during this matchup well one of the things i'm most interested in looking at is exactly how toronto with Kawhi playing such a huge role goes up against this milwaukee defense which a lot of people forget ranked number one in the entire league in defensive efficiency during the regular season and you know, I think so much of the focus is on Giannis, and he was a big part of that defense, but it was more than just him. Uh, and so, uh, so much depends on how much support Kawhi can get from uh, the players around him, particularly Kyle Lowry, who was not good at all against Milwaukee during the regular season series. Uh, and the other thing I'm thinking about in particular when it comes to the Bucks defense is uh, there was a great piece that was written by Ben Falk during the regular season about 
in this era of three-point shooting uh, and teams using that as an offensive weapon, the Bucks built the best defense in the league by allowing the most threes of any team in the league, uh, which seems completely backwards uh, if you think about it. But then you look at uh, Toronto's strengths and weaknesses, and they haven't been making uh, a lot of threes. They haven't been relying on it as much during uh, the playoffs so far. And they're only 10th in the percentage of shots that were three-pointers during the regular season. So I'm curious about that interplay uh, of the matchups and at particularly how it relates to just how they're going to get more production out of players not named Kawhi Leonard. And on the offensive side for the Bucks, you have obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's you know probably the league MVP. No big deal. Jeff, can the Raptors shut him down? I don't think they can shut him down. I mean, so what we saw, you know, in the first series was Marcus Gasol really doing a fantastic job on Joel Embiid. You're not going to see a repeat of that at all. I mean, Giannis is just way too fast and and can do so much more than Embiid on the offensive end. Um, I mean, I think they can load up the pain and, you know, sort of, I think we saw um, teams have some success with that, make it really congested in there. But then what's going to happen is he's still going to drive to the basket anyway and just take foul shots. But the other thing that's kind of scary about Milwaukee is that Lopez and and Bledsoe didn't really shoot so well. Um, And, you know, the more attention Giannis is getting, the more looks those guys are going to get. And in the last series, they were shooting 28% from three. So if those guys start hitting shots, it's even more problems for Toronto. So in the Western Conference, we have Golden State facing off against Portland. The Warriors are clear favorites, but the Blazers have played pretty well this postseason. Jeff, how does our model look at the Western matchup, and how does that compare to the betting markets? Our model actually is a little more bullish on the Warriors than than Vegas, um, and I think probably that could be a product of the Durant injury, which I'm, I'm sure has betters in Vegas a little scared. So Vegas, if you look at the implied probability, is at 78% favoring Golden State, where we have uh, Golden State at 89%. Neil, what do we know about Kevin Durant's availability for the series, and how do you think that will affect the series? Yeah, right now, so he is out definitively for game one in fact he's not going to be evaluated until the morning of game two so it seems somewhat unlikely that he would play game two uh under those conditions but not completely impossible uh and so you know like jeff you mentioned that is playing the 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 odds of this series kind of tick upward or downward for golden state on the basis of that that being said i think it would be difficult to find like how many injuries would have to happen on top of the KD one? Like Curry would have to get hurt, Clay, Draymond, uh, <laughs> for it to be an even fifty-fifty. It's just uh, Iguodala pick. left here, right? Iguodala <laughs> and uh, maybe Patrick McCaw. Um, so you know, I, I think that we're uh, this is a much more lopsided series. It looks like on on paper than in the East, uh, and the Blazers are a team that. In fairness, our model has been kind of down on throughout the playoffs. We didn't think they would win their first round matchup (laughs) against Oklahoma City. We certainly didn't think that they would win their second round matchup. And so now here they are and they are kind of the same team that uh, we've seen over the years. We're used to seeing with Dame Lillard. CJ McCollum and friends. Uh, and and they, they got a lot out of Rodney Hood in the last series, sort of out of nowhere, but he was injured in game seven. Uh, and so his availability could also sort of play into how competitive the Blazers make it. Uh, and, and so, you know, 
as much as we would like to talk about, is this the year the the Warriors get knocked out of the Western Conference playoffs? The real chance for that to have happened was in the previous series against the Rockets, and uh, it's it's kind of more of a question of how many games it's going to take for Golden State to dispatch the Blazers. <laughs> Sorry as I am to say, I mean, you know, this could come back to haunt me if the Blazers win the series, but it just seems very almost anticlimactic that now after this epic series that we've been waiting for all year long uh, between Golden State and the Rockets, it ended kind of abruptly in that sixth game. We didn't even get a seventh game out of it. And then now it's like, oh, yeah, here are the Blazers. You know, <laughs> good luck, Portland. <laughs> People talk about Portland's season like it's over. Like it was, they really did it. They triumphed. They, they, they had Dame and CJ and they proved that they can make it to the Western Conference Final. No even mention of them taking, um, this series. And it really, and you hear most people handicap the series. It comes down to how many games will they steal? Will it be one or will it be a sweep or will it be possibly two? But I, I tend to sort of get where that pessimism comes from, you know, just from the basic domination that we've seen over the years. And the fact that even when Durant goes down, all of a sudden Curry starts hitting shots like crazy when he couldn't hit anything for most of that series when, when Durant was on the court. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. But one thing in the Blazers favor is that during the regular season games between the two teams, when Durant was on the bench, the Blazers outscored the Warriors by six points. So it's not like out of the question. They have played well against the Warriors without Kevin Durant. So if Durant come, doesn't come back, they do. It seems like they do have a shot. And Dame didn't really have a good um, second round at all. Um, it, CJ with, was carrying that team. So if you can almost get the, the McCollum from the second series and the Lillard from the first series, and they're both, you know, at the top and peak of their powers. I think that's how it and works. The, and the Curry that. from the first half of Game Six. <laughs> right, right. Need, uh, first right. half Curry and the Durant from the fourth quarter of the game <laughs> that he was injured. <laughs> yeah, no problem. That'd be easy. It's just that easy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, since we're down to our final four, I think we should probably make some predictions. Um, who you got in the finals and who you got winning it all, Neil? Well, I'm going to have Portland. No, sorry. <laughs> Go out on a limb. so ridiculous. Portland and four. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, it seems like Golden State is the easy pick uh, there. And I do think, you know, I'm going to go against the model too uh, in, in terms of the, the Bucks-Raptors series and pick the Bucks um, just because, you know, when you have two really evenly matched teams, and I think we can all agree, these teams are really even on paper, um, that it home court can play a big role uh, for that for that seventh game if it does happen. And so that's what I think um, could tip the scales in the Bucks' favor. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be boring here and agree. How many games are... All right, uh, I will say Warriors in six. Okay, so that's a little bit against the grain, maybe? Maybe. It's a little off, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the model. Um, yeah. Bucks in five. Ooh. Wow. Well, I, I was going to go Bucks in seven and Warriors in five. Uh, see, I, I'll go Warriors five, Bucks six. But I do think the Bucks are going to win. What about the finals? Then, if you've got Bucks Warriors Haven't in the finals, you gone through my bad bets too often to put me on the record with more. Bets. I know we're trying to give people more ammunition. <laughs> yeah, I mean the problem is is that unlike someone else on this podcast, I I'm willing to take chances and go against what the numbers say and go with my heart, which which is wow everything. That is not 5.30. <laughs> How's that working out for you? 
All right, fine. You're, you're going to make me do it again. I'm taking the Bucks to win the to win the championship. Fear the deer, Sarah. Yes, I fully agree. I'm also taking the Bucks. Wow, to win to win am, it all. Yep, okay. I've had them since the beginning of the playoffs. I think they're going to win it all. So yeah, I'm I'm in a very bizarre position <laughs> of going out on a limb to pick the Golden State yeah, Warriors yeah. to win the NBA <laughs> championship. We knew that was coming. So. <laughs> I'm going to pick Warriors in six because the Bucks would have home court in um in the finals if they were to play the Warriors because uh, they had the better record in the regular season, and uh, it, the Warriors would be at home for Game Six. And so when a team wins in six. Most likely, uh, they're actually the team that doesn't have home court for the oh, series. Interesting. Maybe I should take Bucks and Five by that. Yeah, could be. I like that. Okay, let's leave that there. But before we move on, a word from one of this week's sponsors, Upstart. As many of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is pretty easy. Getting out is much harder, especially if your FICO score isn't great. Sky-high interest rates can make it incredibly hard for you to break out of that revolving debt cycle. But now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off that high-interest credit card debt. Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your creditworthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in just a few minutes without affecting your score. The best part is that once the loan is approved, most people get their funds the very next business day. More than 200,000 people have used Upstart to pay off student loans, fund their wedding, or even just to make a large purchase. Free yourself from the burden of debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot, and hurry to upstart.com slash takedown to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate takes only a few minutes, and it won't affect your credit at all. That's upstart.com slash takedown. Conference finals are also underway this week in the NHL. The Stanley Cup playoffs have been full of upsets with all four number one seeds knocked out in the first round. We now have the San Jose Sharks and the St. Louis Blues facing off in the West and the Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes in the East. Here's Rob Reese of the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast discussing Carolina's odds. Carolina Hurricanes are finished as of Monday morning, and I would like to be optimistic about them going home. You mentioned that they have not lost a home game yet in the playoffs, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. But to me, this thing completely came off the hinges in Boston. The Hurricanes are down 0-2 in the series right now. But Jeff, hasn't this been a season of upsets? Can we really count them out? Am I contractually obligated to take down this hot take? Because I, I, I tend to actually agree with this one. That's allowed, yes. That's allowed. Okay, I wasn't sure on the bylaws of hot <laughs> take down. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, from what I've watched, the Bruins just seem to be absolutely dominating. If you look at their last few games, uh, the five in a row that they've won, they've outscored uh, opponents 22 to 8. The conference... Uh, finals in general tend to favor the team that goes up 2-0 as much as we have uh, more unpredictability in hockey. Uh, conference finals, the 2-0 teams win 94% of the time. And even if you just look at the opportunities and what's happening, I mean, it's like complete domination. Um, I think 19 different Bruins have scored in these playoffs, which is just staggering considering there's, what, 22 guys who dress each night. Um, and even some of their best players, you know, Bergeron and Marshawn and these guys aren't, aren't really even, 
needing to score that much. They have, you know, really four lines that are all working right now. So I think what will happen probably is they're going to have to make a goalie change. Carolina is. They, they've already, you know, had a sort of tandem for most of the season. Their, their backup, Curtis McElhinney, um, has played a lot. He's played in these playoffs and he's played pretty well. Um, and, you know, as much as Mirazak, He's getting bombarded with shots. You know, it, it, I think the, uh, their coach, Rob Brindamore, he was saying, you know, it felt like he had 80 shots against him out there, which is what it seems like. So it's a little unfair to, to pin it all on the goalie. But at this point, when you're giving up, you know, six goals a game and two games and you got a backup who has played a lot this regular season and has played in these playoffs, you might as well make the switch um, and go with the hot hand. Although, interestingly, Brindamore said he was going to leave it up to his goaltending coach which is seems like a pretty important decision you might want to just make yourself. Uh, but, you know, you never know. I mean, look, they were down 2, two nothing to Washington, and, you know, they have two games at home, and they do have a kind of raucous arena, um, despite, you know, being a small market team. And then we've seen this before when they did win a cup. Um, so, you know, they can get back into it. I mean, if they, they have to win both of these next two games, obviously. You know, Carolina's not even supposed to be here to begin with. You know, they were a fringe team for most of the regular season, and, and they had this great second half, and they rallied into the playoffs, and, and they really are a Cinderella story. So they really do have nothing to lose, truly. Um, but at this point, you know, Boston just seems to be doing everything right. They're kind of all Cinderella teams. Well, I mean, I guess aside from Boston, who was one of the best teams during the regular season, too. But, like, St. Louis and San Jose also, like, you know, you've had teams that fired their coach uh, and teams that had to go on crazy runs, you know, down the stretch of the season uh, to to make the playoffs. So, I don't know. It's just one of those weird seasons, like you talked about, uh, Sarah, with all these upsets. And this Carolina situation seems like, it's just primed for some kind of regression toward the mean to happen because, like you said, uh, the two goalies basically were of the same quality during the season and they split time. They were basically of the same quality in the great sweep that they had in the previous round against the Islanders. And, you know, they'll switch goalies here potentially. But what would it be based on aside from just reshuffling deck chairs on the <laughs> Titanic? Like, I don't know. It's just hockey is such a – I think it's really challenging – you know, talking about the goalie coach making a call is what would the goalie coach have to see from a guy who played great in the previous uh, few rounds to be like, ah, his form really is is just not where it <laughs> needs to be right now. He's, you know, like I don't know. It's it's totally uh, outcome based decision making, not process based. And I think most of hockey uh, decision making has to be outcome and not process based because. There's so much randomness. You're you're just bombarded with this chaos, uh, and, and so trying to suss out what's real from that is almost impossible or very challenging mm-hmm. in in such a small sample of games. Well, I, I will also say about Mirzak is that he was an objectively bad goalie a year ago, um, right? And with the Red Wings, so I mean, it, it's not like he's Patrick Waugh or Eddie Belfour over here. Similarly, which was the same goalie coach, you know when. We saw Matt Murray come off the bench. He had barely played in any games and, and sort of took it from, um, took the job for Pittsburgh and took him all the way to the cup or, you know, John Sebastian Gaguerre, you know, taking the Ducks to the finals. You know, we've seen this, we've seen this before. And I think that's probably their best bet because it's not like their backup is some guy who, who's essentially a, a fill in for the starter who plays 
you know, just a handful of times a year. You know, he, he he's definitely had enough experience. And Jeff, who could forget when Patrick Laleem took over for Tom Barrasso in the 90s on the Penguins? Of course. Of course. I thought that was implied. My point is that hockey does love a great, like, random goaltender comes in and saves the day and we have no idea whether it's uh, you know just uh variants turning around or if there's something actually to those hot streaks hockey just loves that there's a long tradition of that so i'm with you on that jeff so the bruins and the hurricanes have each won at least one stanley cup the western final pits two teams that never have neil the blues and sharks are tied 1-1 right now they seem fairly evenly matched who has the edge at this point i don't know who has the edge i mean <laughs> uh you know on the one hand the the blues stole home ice advantage with the win in game two um and, and so you kind of look at that normally that's sort of the lens in which we we talked about it when we talked about the nba playoffs the bad news is that home ice is not really worth all that much, as <laughs> as we wrote about, I think, in a story uh, last year um, in the NHL playoffs, uh, that home teams just don't get as much of a boost in hockey as they do in the NFL, certainly not the NBA. Uh, and so, you know, trying to figure out who has the edge in a series like this is really difficult. And I will also say that uh, the two teams are super evenly matched. San Jose ranked 11th during the regular season in the simple rating system at Sports Reference, which is just a a schedule-adjusted goal differential per game. St. Louis ranked 12th. (laughs) And the uh, the only thing that really sort of separates them is this um, battle of styles, basically, where San Jose was second in goals, but 21st in goals allowed. And St. Louis was 15th in goals scored, but 6th in goals allowed. And so, you know, it's sort of one of those classic offense versus defense. The, uh, the irresistible force against the immovable <laughs> object, except neither of these teams were all that irresistible or Im- uh, immovable until the playoffs. <laughs> is this the most chaotic postseason we've seen in a while, or is this just the new normal in the NHL? And maybe not even that new. Well, I, I mean, yeah, hockey has has a reputation for being more upset laden than the other sports anyway. But I think this year is really especially so. And because we saw, I talked about SRS just then, we saw seven of the top nine regular season teams according to that metric, which is a good indicator of performance, you know, in terms of outscoring your opponent, taking into account how good your opponents are. Uh, Seven of the top nine teams in that metric lost in the first round of the playoffs, not just, uh, you know, somewhere along the way. Some of them got swept. Famously, the Lightning, who were head and shoulders above everyone else in the league this year during the regular season, they were upset by the, uh, you know, last seed, uh, in, in the conference and, uh, were swept by them. So, you know, I think that, uh, in hockey, you do see this sometimes, but this is getting crazy. And I think it favors the Bruins, you know, are, are the team that kind of came out looking best out of all of it because they were third in that statistic during the season and they might be the only like legitimately really good team left mm. as opposed to the other ones, which are sort of like, yeah, they're good, but like they needed some, some good bounces to sort of get to where they were. The Sharks are just kind of the living embodiment of how little the regular season matters in the NHL. Um, and, and really likewise the blues as well. I mean, these were fan bases that went, you know, decades where they, or decades it seemed where they were making the playoffs every year and then never really doing much. And as a fan, it gets really frustrating. It, it, it gets to the point where you get eliminated from the playoffs and you're like, what do I really got to sit through 82 games? Um, and just go through this horrible experience for a couple of weeks. 
Um, so I'm, I am happy, I will say, and I, I'm sure Neil agrees because we always like new teams winning the cup. We don't want a hurricanes. second Hurricanes Cup. Yeah. A second Hurricanes Cup would be like the second <laughs> yeah, Marlins absolutely. World Series title. <laughs> Just like, ew, no. Um, you have your one. We'll see you in 40 years. I'm rooting for the West regardless. Um, I'm happy one of those teams will at least have a chance to play for a cup. And there's a certain poetic justice to, like you mentioned, Jeff, the all the years in which both the Sharks and the Blues they they like won the President's Trophy only to be upset in the playoffs uh, in in the first or second round. Now, in a year in which neither of them were all that impressive during the regular season, one of them is going to make the Stanley Cup Finals uh, and, and sort of have a decent shot at it. So let's continue. Going out on a limb here and making, making predictions. predictions. Yeah. Who, um, Neil, who do you like? Well, it seems like the Bruins uh, are, are probably going to oust the Hurricanes. Um, and so uh, I'll take the Blues over the Sharks just because the Sharks have been to a Stanley Cup final in the last few years. They did not win it, but they at least got there. The Blues haven't been in uh, a long, long time. I think since the uh, first couple years after the NHL expanded uh, past the original six era. So it'd be great to see the Blues in the final, and then they're probably going to lose to the Bruins, just like they did in that first season after the original six era <laughs> Bobby Orr. Uh, whoever the modern Bobby Orr is, maybe it's Zdeno Chara scoring a goal while being tripped and flying through the air. <laughs> Jeff, who you like? I'm, I'm going to go with the Sharks over the Bruins. I do like the narrative of the Joe Thornton going back and playing Boston. I think that would be super fun. And I think the Sharks, you know, with Burns and Carlson and, and these two sort of modern defensemen who will jump up in the action and are as much offensive threats as they are defensive stalwarts. Having both of those, I think, was a, is a really sort of unusual thing in terms of team design. So I'm in favor of that because I think that's the way the league's going. I think the, you know, the defensemen are changing and, and they're ahead of it. And also they have great beards. You know, you got to go with the long ZZ top beards <laughs> when it comes down to it. When it comes down to it, I really just look at beard length to decide my team. That makes good sense. I'm going to use a similarly scientific measure and and go with the Blues because they have uh, the most Canadians on their team. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And, and if a Canadian-based yeah. team can't win the Cup, at least the you can Canadians. have the most individual yeah. Canadians. That's just, that just makes sense. That's just right. So I've got uh, the Blues over the Bruins in the final. All right. Let's leave that there and move on. Um, before we do, let's hear a word from this week's other sponsor, ExxonMobil. Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it, too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, take it away. So uh, this week, it is expected that Edwin Jackson, of the newly uh, minted member of the Toronto Blue Jays, will uh, make an appearance for his new team. And he will play for what will be a new Major League record, 14th different franchise in his career. Uh, can you guys rattle off the, the teams that Edwin Jackson has played for or shall I? Uh... I would not. Before doing this research, I really would only have been able to name maybe like two or three of the 14. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Can you name them, Jeff? 
Definitely the Diamondbacks. He was Oakland. on the D-backs for sure. Oakland. Um, the A's. The A's. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, you said Oakland. So that's probably the same as the that's A's. It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he wait. He was on the Tigers. Tigers he's been for on a the long Tigers. Time, yes. Um, he's on the Cubs, wasn't long, he? Long, he's on the Cubs. Long run on the Tigers. Braves. He was on the Braves. Yeah, look at you guys. You, you Cubs? Now I'm guessing. I Sarah literally said the just Cubs. said Cubs. <laughs> um, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, why don't I say some more teams and then you can repeat them? <laughs> so if you say Tampa, I'll just say Rays. Okay. And the Perfect. Rays are on there. Okay, oh, hey. so he's played for the Rays, Dodgers, Cubs, Nationals, White Sox, D-backs, Braves, Cardinals, A's, Padres, Orioles, Marlins, Tigers, and we're hoping the Blue Jays. Wow. So the previous record in baseball belonged to Octavio Dotel, who played for 13 teams uh, between 1999 and 2013. Um, I won't ask you to name all the teams that Octavio Dotel played for. I know at least two of them, the Mets and the Astros. Um, but, you know, I find it interesting the types of players that kind of recur on the list of the most uh, franchises played for, which conveniently Baseball Reference actually has a page for. A lot of these guys... First of all, they're sort of they're kind of average type guys. Uh, Dotel had a better ERA than average, but he was also a reliever, uh, and so the bar is a little bit lower there. Um, but they're basically guys that are good enough for teams to want to kind of trade for, but they're not quite good enough for them to want to commit to long term or hang on to uh, otherwise. Uh, they're durable starter types in some cases. So you have your Mike Morgans, your Bartolo Colon is up there. Your <laughs> you, uh, pinch hitting specialists like Matt Stairs uh, show up uh, top, uh, near the top of the list. You also have a lot of backup catchers like Paul Bacco and Henry Blanco and uh. some of these type of guys. These are guys that play forever. Uh, and, and again, they fill like a very specific niche for a team, but they're also super replaceable. Uh, and so it's just sort of this carousel of backup catchers catchers filtering uh, across baseball. So I was curious as to how that number 14 different franchises uh, compared to other sports uh, in terms of the most franchises played for. So if you look at the NBA, uh, there are actually four guys tied for the most franchises played for at 12 apiece. Uh, I won't ask you to name any of these guys, but they are very quintessential 90s, early 2000s type uh, journeyman guys. Chucky Brown, Jim Jackson, Tony Massenberg, and Joe Smith. They each played for 12 franchises apiece. Um, and, and Joe Smith, uh, one of those franchises was the Timberwolves, uh, and they got into a lot of trouble for the way that they acquired him. So that's fun, one of the, <laughs> one of the 12 teams. Um, as, and if you look down the list, you also have some future coaches uh, on the list, like Kevin Ollie. Uh, coach at UConn. Uh, he played for 11 different teams. It tends to be point guards, I think, disproportionately in the NBA list. Kenny Anderson, uh, in addition to uh, some of those, Anthony oh, I... Goldwire, Jason Hart, huh. some of these guys, Eddie House, uh, and Earl Boykins, who can forget, one of the shortest players of all time. He played for 10 different franchises. Uh, and so that's a little bit, to me, like the backup catcher, is like you need a backup point guard uh, and, and sort of a floor general to to run the show, but they're also thoroughly replaceable, and you can kind of go through it. 
12 teams is also the number that leads the NHL. Mike Sillinger, between 1990 and 2009, he played for 12 different uh, NHL teams. Uh, and there aren't quite as many guys at that 12-team mark in the NHL as there were in the other sports. I think probably it's just tougher to hang on as, as an older player. And then finally, if we look at the NFL, it's harder, hardest of all. So the leader in most franchises played for since 1960 is Shane Graham, a kicker. He played for 10 different teams. You had to play at least um, one regular season game with with each team that you show up with. Uh, And then... Uh, among quarterbacks, I found this interesting. So there is a Wikipedia page called Journeyman Quarterback, which makes no <laughs> sense that that is a page. Great page. <laughs> and it lists uh, J.T. O'Sullivan as the most well-traveled uh, journeyman quarterback. But it's a little fudging because it lists teams that J.T. O'Sullivan was on the practice squad of or sort of held the clipboard behind the guy holding the clipboard uh, but never actually saw the field with those teams. I think that's cheating a little bit, and I would give the crown among quarterbacks in the NFL to one Josh McCown, who has actually played regular season NFL games with eight different teams. Uh, he, he edges out Jeff Blake, Steve Bono, uh, Matt Castle, they've, uh, Chris Chandler. They all played seven. Ryan Fitzpatrick also on his seventh team right now. So that was uh, a rundown, guys, of the, uh, the most well-traveled players <laughs> in the four major sports. Fitzpatrick was the only one on that list who, like, fully started for all those teams, yes, right? Yes, not I mean, like he, a... This guy is just gets workload. Yeah. I mean, Josh McCown, a little bit, he has been a starter for uh, probably a majority of the teams that he's played for, which is very strange. Both were on the Jets somewhat recently also. Um, but Fitzpatrick has... I think uniquely been considered the answer by some, uh, you know, at quarterback by uh, some of the seven teams that he's played for. And that definitely makes him different. I guess Gus Farratt, who also played for seven teams, he was, uh, he was the Redskins answer until he intentionally headbutted a concrete wall, giving himself uh, a neck injury. <laughs> Maybe demonstrating why he should not have been considered the answer by anyone. <laughs> yes, m- least of all seven seven different teams. Still, my favorite journeyman player has got to be Bartolo Colon, and I. It's a crime against baseball that he is not currently on a team. It just it's sad. It's true. You can't tell me that some team in the major leagues does not need Bartolo right now. They yeah. obviously do. Yeah, he needs to play. Preferably a National League team so yes. he can watch his <laughs> yes. home runs. Yes. And if he does, he would be uh, just the uh, sixth player in Major League Baseball history to play for 12 different teams. So he would be you know, coming up on Edwin Jackson. He'd still need a couple more teams to go, but uh, maybe we could make it happen. Yeah, given that he's almost 46, maybe. Maybe his time is over, but that is sad that he's not playing. With the exception of maybe Bartolo, because I've seen him interviewed, you got to figure these are like likable guys, you know, where they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get Edwin back. Are you saying Bartolo is not likable? Well, you know, he's a little, you know, he's not the greatest interview in the world. He seems to sort of, he sort of sticks to himself, I've heard. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a bad guy. Listen, Bartolo, if you're listening, and you probably are, um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. (laughs) But I do, I do know what you mean, Jeff. Though, like they, these are good clubhouse guys, right? Yeah, clubhouse guys. Um, <laughs> and it's also this weird sort of Goldilocks situation where they're good enough to contribute something, but you know, not too good that a team would want to hold on to them for a long period of time. 
Clubhouse guys is another like trope yeah. that 538 would be fighting oh, yeah. against. We and we're love, like, yeah, we more of these guys. They're, they're chemistry guys. <laughs> yeah, they're exactly. really big on uh, the little things that help a team win that don't show up in anyone's stat sheet. You know they also all, always follow the game's unwritten rules, too. Oh, yeah. They play the game the right they way. They do. They do. Yeah. They now, really Bri- do. Uh, you know, now I am obligated to look up Brian Dozier, Sarah's <laughs> one of Sarah's all-time favorite players, uh, who she agreed with when he complained about, uh, what was the play? It was like bunting in the in the ninth inning of a, not even a no-hitter. It was like a shutout or something, and he was mad that <laughs> someone had bunted. <laughs> Listen, sometimes your loyalties to a player override your knowledge that what they're saying is nonsense. <laughs> I, I hear you on that. But but Dozier somehow only on his third team. No, so, I know. He was with the Twins he's forever. 32. Yeah. yeah he, 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 he needs to start no, uh, sw- he will swap, definitely, swapping teams. He will challenge Bartolo, at least, if not Edwin Jackson. Joe Smith was the number one overall pick, right? He that's was, yes, bit, out of Maryland. That's a little unusual um, compared to the... The rest of this group. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> tough to find other guys on this list that were uh, considered had any kind of star potential. I guess Kenny Anderson at some point um, w- was a high pick, and then in in baseball, it's even harder to find guys that are you know had any kind of elite uh, performance at some point. But Kenny Lofton stands out in that regard. He played for eleven teams, and in my opinion, I think we even talked about this in an early episode of Hot Takedown. It is. A crime that he's not in the <laughs> Hall of Fame, that he dropped off the ballot. Kenny Lofton, come on. Yeah, no, you're right. I think they're holding this 11-team thing against him, I think unfairly. Oh, but even when Octo- Octavio came, when he was with the Mets, he was considered this, like, you know, phenom reliever. So, I mean, there was some, like, hype around him earlier in his career. And Cologne, obviously, was a, a star at mm-hmm. one point. Kenny Lofton is in the Twins Opponents Hall of Fame, so I'm sure he's fine with that. Yeah, that's enough for him. (laughs) Yeah, that's enough. And that is enough for us, too. That'll do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. This is still a new podcast, so if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Also, be sure to review and rate the show. It really does help others discover us. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think of the program. Our producer is Grace Lynch. Tony Chow is in the control room. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.